You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 113, brought to you by Bessie Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Well, today, uh, folks, we're going to be talking about uh, raising chickens. It's something uh, I, it's an idea I kick around from time to time, and uh, I'd like to read about it and uh, trying to get them. This is Maritime Gardener uh, signed up with the notion of it, but uh, uh, for right now, I don't raise chickens, but I know a lot of you do or are interested in the idea, so I've brought uh, Dr. Ann Lichtenwalner here from University of Maine. Uh, she's somewhat of an expert on this topic. Um, who is Dr. Ann Lichtenwalner? Well, she's a veterinarian and uh, researcher at the University of Maine, Orno, Maine. She runs a lab that evaluates the health of uh, many kinds of animals. She has a special interest in birds and uh, has this experience raising chickens, pheasants, and ducks. And she's presented to many poultry groups about uh, raising and caring for birds. Uh, she's here to help us with, uh, you know, help us backyard gardeners who are thinking about getting into uh, the chicken and egg business. Uh, and say hello and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you get into this field of work. Wow, great introduction and thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, how I got into this work, I'm a veterinarian. I, I became a vet because I loved animals, just like all those kids who do. But um, soon after I became a vet, I went to school in, or in Oregon, um, I got interested in science um, and in the idea that you could come up with new answers to problems, new information. And so I went back to school and became a PhD or a re got a research degree in animal physiology. And I came to Maine in 2008, um, really love Maine. It's been a great place to be. It was my introduction to the East Coast. And, um, and I've been uh, happily working with uh, cooperative Extension here at University of Maine and also the School of Food and Agriculture doing some teaching and research since then. Great and um, tell our viewers a little bit about I'm often saying if you've got a question about gardening don't just google it. Uh, I normally I'll say how do you do blah 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 and then I'll type just the, the letters ext next to it in a google search and that'll usually come up with something uh, published through a uh, agricultural extension of some university somewhere and I tended to defer to uh, that content when I'm getting answers to my questions. Can you tell uh, our viewers just a little bit of what a little bit about what agro agricultural extensions do and why they should be um, interested in, in, you know, using the content from from that outlet? Yeah, well, thanks. Um, Cooperative Extension is, was new to me. I had not been a 4-H'er uh, during school, um, so I um, was delighted to become part of this team of people who are working on all kinds of very practical problems. So the idea of extension is it's a program at uh, land-grant universities um, that takes the research output um, from either our own labs or from those of other colleagues at the university and puts, makes that into a form that's very available to the public. So before there was YouTube, you know, before there were a lot of these wonderful things that we now have to get information, there was cooperative extension. And sometimes those people would show up on your doorstep if you needed it and help you, for instance, with a dairy, you know, that was having problems getting their hay ensiled. Or, you know, um, in my case, a lot of what I do is I run the veterinary diagnostic lab here. And so uh, if people are losing chickens, for instance, they have birds dying and they're curious as to why, they may send me a freshly dead chicken and I can kind of open it up, take it apart, try and figure out what the heck went on and then give them news they can use. So I give them an interpretation of what happened and, uh, and what they could do to help keep that from happening again. 
Do they pay for that or you just do it? We, they do service. pay something, it's, but it's a very subsidized um, operation. So Cooperative Extension supports that lab. It's unusual in that most veterinary diagnostic labs in any US um, state are usually supported um, by the, that state's veterinary school. We don't have a veterinary college here in Maine. Oh. Um, so Cooperative Extension stepped up a number of years ago and decided, well, we're gonna, we're gonna keep that service lab open and make those resources available to the public still. So yeah, we do charge a fee, but it's way less than, um, than would be you know, in a lot of places. Um, we also try, <laughs> I have to say, we try to support our local veterinarians and we want our local veterinarians to be handling a lot of these cases because I'm not available at midnight you know, on the weekend when you need help from your local vet. And yeah, yeah. interestingly enough, a lot of veterinarians that are dog and cat veterinarians actually do have training in poultry health during school. And really? so they actually, yeah, they actually got a lot of the basics. They may not be doing a lot of it. And so they may want some, uh, you know, refresher courses, or they may want to be able to phone somebody up and say, what the heck do you think this is? And we provide that resource as well. So we want our clients that use the cooperative extension service to connect with a, their own farm vet. Um, and that may be just your dog and cat vet who will see a chicken if you bring it in, or that could be uh, an actual bona fide farm vet who makes their living going around to farms. If you have lots and lots of birds, that might be a good choice. All right, great. So, um, so now we understand what you do. <laughs> and, but, <laughs> okay. it's, it's very interesting. It sounds like a great job. Hmm. So Ann and I uh, bounced back and forth some questions that we thought would be interesting for the, uh, the, the home gardener who's contemplating getting into the whole uh, chicken business. And uh, I, I hope, hopefully these questions uh, cover the gambit of uh, questions uh, you uh, viewers and listeners might have if I've missed anything. Uh, you know, put a question in the comments for this uh, video, or if you're on the podcast website, put a question in there, and we'll have uh, Anne on again if she wants to, and we can answer all your questions. I think that's probably, it's a natural follow-up show to this one anyway. Um, so um, anyway, let's, uh, with no further ado, let's uh, get into it here. So uh, the first question I had was, um, how, do, how many chickens do you need? Um, I guess it depends on how many, put it another way, how many eggs does one chicken produce? Sure. Um well, after they're about six months old, chickens can, female <laughs> chickens can produce about an egg a day. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So, and, and they, do that, they do that during the time of year when it's physiologically reasonable to do so. Um, that is more during the spring and summer, but you can manipulate that with uh, light, uh, artificial light. So if you decide that you really need a certain number of eggs per day, then you can keep your birds on lights uh, year round. Um, so, and you know, people kind of manipulate that one way or another, but um, I, I personally keep my birds on natural light. Uh, they sometimes will lay, it depends on the year and the age of the birds. Um, sometimes we still get eggs into the winter. Okay. But usually, does, yeah. Does, um, so let's say I, I, I have my coop set up so that the chicken thinks it's optimal laying conditions all year long. Does that wear the chicken out faster? Like, does that reduce the amount of time the chicken is, is productive? Yes, um, if chicken's laying is optimized by management practices, and this is what they do in the commercial industries, 
then the birds tend to kind of burn out after a few years. So they may keep laying, um, but just more sporadically and, um, and just the, the egg quality may be a little bit different. Um, eggs tend to get bigger as hens age, um, but really? yeah, but high-end restaurants and that sort of thing are more interested in the smaller eggs um, because they have a uh, different flavor. With birds are younger, the, they, they put a little more metabolic energy into the eggs and the eggs are a little bit different quality. I want to address one other thing here. Um, and that is that um, I'm not sure about Canada because I live in the United States, but in the United States, many, many towns have ordinances. Towns <laughs> and cities have ordinances um, that dictate how many birds you can have. And you should uh, check that out before you get involved. Um, it's really good to find out, can I even have any birds here in my, in my area? And you know, before you even think about, well, do I have the room and you know, all those other issues, please try to find out if it's legal. Um, and then one more interesting point about that is that in the US, most towns, the limit is about six birds and no roosters. And, you can, and so do you need a rooster? Not if you just want eggs. Hens lay eggs without having a rooster around. They don't need, physiologically, they do not need the rooster. The rooster is important, of course, if you wanna raise a certain breed of birds and you wanna raise chicks. So yes, then you need a rooster. Um, but you may not want to do that in most towns um, and you don't have to have the rooster and you don't have to buy male chicks if you don't want to because they can actually um, do what they call sorting the chicks by gender uh, the day they're born and sometimes some places can do it while they're still in the egg wow. so if you yeah. So if you just want to buy a half dozen female chicks, it's possible to do that when you order them from a commercial brooder. So, so I get a half dozen chickens. <clears throat> so once those chickens are up and running and they're fully operational, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. that means I'm getting six eggs a day. It, yeah, it could. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, you, if you're managing everything, right. Um, so yeah, so, so it's really important that people not overestimate how many birds they need to get um, because you know you may be, it's kind of like giving away zucchini. I know in the summer, you know, zucchini <laughs> tend to, you, show, you come home and somebody put zucchini in your mailbox. It's like, oh, please, you know, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, so you got to be a little careful about what you do. Um, and, you know, don't however, uh, as they say, you know, don't count your chicks before they hatch. If you order chicks from a company, they will ship them usually as day old chicks and they may be vaccinated if that's what you want them to do, et cetera. Um, don't order too few either because there's a fine uh, art of, of raising these little guys once you get them and you need to be pretty careful. You may lose as much as 15 to 20% of your birds in the first few weeks of having them, that's not actually that unusual. I guess you're so, getting, getting babies mailed to you in a box. So yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's sense. yeah. There are some risks to that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so there are lots of details about that. I'm not going to go into, but I just as a general idea, um, you know, really think carefully about how many you need. Order a little bit more than you actually think you need to have. Maybe you only need four. We've had four birds for a couple of years now, and four birds is plenty for us. Um, but um, 
but really plan it out carefully. And I think like we, we eat two dozen eggs a week, my family, that's four of us, two adults and two mm -hmm. kids. My wife really doesn't eat eggs. I mean, rarely. Um, whereas my, my kids and I eat at least, I would say four days, four mornings a week, we have, we all, we have two eggs for breakfast four days a week. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so yeah, if I wanted like, I guess I, I would need somewhere between four and six, I guess. Uh, it's still a lot of eggs. I mean, think about it. <laughs> yeah, and they don't stop on Sunday, you know. So. Four times seven is 28. That's right. Uh, there you go. So, yeah, exactly. So that's 28 eggs a week, which is yeah. a little bit more than two dozen. So yeah, mm -hmm. you must eat a lot of eggs <laughs> or have a lot of friends. Um, yeah, use them in cooking and that sort of thing. Yeah, that. you know, it's, it's nice. They're, they're a really nice, healthy food source. You have a lot of control over the quality of that um of that food source and it, it's it's especially i'm sure when you have kids it's just a nice part of kind of um natural uh, awareness of natural living you know where does your food come from so that's a technical question that has nothing to do with with uh what the questions i said so if you don't know the answer to this that's fine um i make my own mayonnaise and i use an egg in a mayonnaise and the reason you use an egg is because the yolk has lecithin in it and that is an emulsifier and mm -hmm. I notice every once in a while, um, and sometimes this happens when I buy eggs. I, I get my eggs from a guy down the road, a friend of mine, um, but once in a while I'll buy them and I could use every egg. So the way I make mayonnaise, it always works. But every once in a while I could use every egg in the box and it will not work. And I'm, huh. either that egg has a low lecithin count or maybe the yolk's broken or something like that. I don't know, but does, does that sort of, like you said that the young chickens sort of put more, more, <laughs> more zest into their eggs than the older hmm. ones is would that affect would, would something like that be affected by the age of the chicken or was that probably more about the the, the membrane around the yolk being compromised and affecting the the integrity of the the yolk which is very important when you're making mayonnaise yeah well there i the first thing that comes to my mind would be the age of the actual egg um age of egg. so yeah because because eggs do i mean they remain fresh a relatively long time, especially if they've not been washed. Um, so if they, if you have really clean conditions where the, the eggs are being laid and all the handling is done very carefully, um, then uh, the eggs may stay fresh longer if they're not washed, because there's a, basically an antimicrobial um, coating that the hen um, applies to the egg right. uh, shell. Um, and um, they actually, in some countries, um, they actually don't refrigerate eggs uh, because they they can stay pretty pretty uh, well at normal room temperatures over time. Um, however, <laughs> uh, there are lots of food safety issues to think about, and one I want to mention that this kind of gives me a niche where I can insert this. Um, so, no matter where you get your your birds from. Uh, or where you get your eggs from, one of the things you need to uh, be concerned about is um, Salmonella enteritidis, uh, SE, we call it. Um, so it's an oddball bacterium that uh, can live uh, in the gut of chickens um, who are perfectly fine and are not affected by it. Um, and unfortunately, it can also penetrate the tissues of the hen. So it's not just living in the tube we call the gut, um, which isn't, which is actually kind of separate from all of the other parts of the hen, but it actually can penetrate 
all the other tissues of the hen. And what that means is that that bacteria can get inside eggs while they're still in the bird. And then it's inside eggs that you eat sometimes, rarely, but it does happen. Here in the United States, we've had programs to try to control it um, <clears throat> for many, many years. My lab, one of the things our lab does is it does the uh, Food and Drug Association mandates Salmonella SE testing for farms that are selling their eggs, farms above a certain size, above like 3,000 hens in one place, uh, are required by law to uh, test their hens' uh, environment periodically for SE. Um, so it's a big deal because uh, it can make people very ill or it can cause death. Um, so among the many things we have to worry about these days, we should at least think about uh, salmonella. Um, so what do you do? Um, well, like this is what I did with the birds that I have is, um, of course I run a lab, right? So when they arrived um, as chicks, um, we tested them immediately. Um, oh. And so, so what we do is we test the, what they call the meconium paper. So that's just the uh, bedding that the bird is shipped on and the very first uh, fecal material that the bird produces oh. as a chick is called the meconium. We test that for salmonella SE. Um, and, uh, and then we maintain the birds in such a way that we are pretty sure they're not exposed to it again and, uh, and periodically test them. So it's about 20, get, go ahead. How do they get exposed to it? How, so I got, I got a chicken with no salmonella in it. And how does that chicken become a salmonella chicken? Yeah, well, um, many studies over the years have shown that rodents are the, uh, uh. that can carry this. And so it, it's yet another reason to really be careful about hygiene um, where you raise your birds and, and good hygiene uh, in regards to their good food. Um, so okay. keeping their food in a sealed, um, like a metal garbage can is a great way to store. We're gonna talk about disease. So let's, let's save okay. that for the, yeah. Okay, that's, okay. My, that's my fault for taking you. Uh, as no, that's my, okay. My curiosity. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I felt like I needed to mention that one early yeah. on. So you no. can get SE tested birds. Um, you can buy, uh, you know, sorry. In the United States, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep on this one. You can oh, cut and insert it fine. elsewhere if you oh, want. But in the United States, uh, there's a national poultry Im improvement plan called NPIP is the acronym. And uh, via that plan, uh, places that uh, commercially uh, produce birds, uh, hatcheries, and, and this and that can voluntarily go through certain testing that um, certifies that you, know, you can expect that these birds are gonna be free of certain diseases. One of them is another kind of salmonella called salmonella florum. Um, another one is avian influenza. Another one is mycoplasma and, uh, and there's SE. So okay. I just wanted to mention that. Okay, you know, that's all. I had salmonella once when I was 20 and uh, I, thought I, was, mm. uh, I thought I was dying. <laughs> Not a pleasant thing. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. All the way through, all the way through. Not good. Um, no. All right. So, uh, so speaking of, uh, I guess in a sense, uh, that topic. Uh, how often do you need new chickens, and what do you do with the old ones for the home gardener? Right. I mean, I guess the a factory would just send them to a dog food factory or something. I don't know what they do, but no. what does a home gardener do with? You got a chicken, and now it's producing uh, an egg every two days. Now it's producing an egg every three days, and so on and so forth. What, how, what do you, what do you, what does one do? Assuming we sure. can't have an infinite number of pet chickens. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, depends on your locale uh, and obviously on your, your outlook on these things. Um, chickens can live to be uh, at least teenagers. 
So yeah, so and their productivity declines a lot um, way before that. So um, so yeah, if you're interested in having a productive flock, then after you know maybe as short as two or three years, you may want to bring in a new flock. I see. Um, so there's lots of different ways to deal with that. Um, in the time-honored tradition, uh, my mom grew up in Kansas and. Uh, and uh, they had a flock of chickens and every Sunday, one of them would disappear um, <laughs> and, and they'd have chicken for dinner. Um, so, uh, so certainly there are many breeds of chickens that, that are just fine to use as uh, meat uh, producing birds and they're good layers. There's oh. lots of those breeds out there. Um, okay. So if you choose to do that, then you just acquaint yourself with methodology um, or you can bring them to, if there's someone in your region that has an abattoir or, um, or a service that will um, butcher animals for you, uh, then you can choose to do that. Um, in the United States, they also, um, the big commercial places will send their birds to, um, they call a live bird market or some other way of um, basically en masse, you know, disposing of a lot of birds that way. Um, those are not your best um, quality birds for meat production. Uh, there are many breeds that are for meat production, but at any rate, that's one way of doing it. Um, some people just, honestly, they, they keep them. They just <laughs> and they, them. Yeah, they keep them. And then they bring new birds in. So as, you know, I can talk more later about best practices um, with doing, whether if you choose to do something like that, there's, there are risks involved. Because the very best practice is have a flock, get what you need out of that flock, then dispose of that flock. However you choose to do it, give them to your aunt Tess, or you know, I don't know, adopt them out for, yes. as pets, or make them into another form of food. Whatever is the right thing for you and your uh, outlook uh, around animals. But anyway, empty the place of chickens, uh -huh. and then do a really thorough uh, cleaning and disinfecting. Think about the management. What, what did you hate about this coop? What do you want in a new coop? You know, uh, rethink your whole deal. Whole reset Think, sort of thing. A whole reset. But it's really important because some chicken pathogens like parasites and um, you know, germs of different kinds, viruses and, and bacteria, et cetera, they can persist in the environment in which those chickens have been housed, including the feather dander. There's Merrick's disease, which can be passed along over the years and over large distances by feather dander. It's not a good thing. Um, at any rate, you can clean and disinfect and then wait for at least a couple of weeks, leave the place empty for at least a couple of weeks because time mm. and sunlight uh, also do their job to disinfect and then bring in your new flock. Oh, that's really, that's really good advice. I, mean, I thought of like just having them coming and going and in and out. You got some old ones making big eggs and little ones making small eggs. That I know. A lot of, that makes a lot of sense though. Just, just Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying that people don't do it that way. They do do sequential flocks or uh, in, um, we did a survey a few years ago and I think about a third of the people uh, that we queried um, do that. It's just a bad practice uh, over time, uh, if you're really interested in keeping birds healthy. Yeah, I can see it. I know in terms of risk, you're just lowering the risk of, of all those things happening. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And I yeah. guess um, I guess to that effect, uh, 
because we were talking just earlier about uh, chickens that make eggs, but you can also eat them as well. Because um, mm -hmm. what what breed should I choose? Like if I'm uh, let's say, well, give me some ideas. So you got you got super egg chickens, <laughs> and then you got I would have to think if it was me, I'd want a chicken I could do both with. I could I'd want a chicken that I get eggs out of the chicken for two three years, and then I eat them all and get some new ones. Um, so I can get everything I could possibly can out of the chicken. Um, so, um, yeah, what, what are the hmm. options? You know, I mean, there's probably a million options. So it's, you know, probably raining in a little yeah. bit, but, uh, um, yeah, I can give you some kind of really general ideas, yeah, but we have, um, yeah, but I know there are many people who spend a lot of time in this area and really know their chicken breeds. I'm not one of them. Okay. Um, I admire um, a lot of these very beautiful like Wyandots and things like that that have these gorgeous coloring. Um, there are birds like the Aracanas or Americanas that um, lay colored eggs, which are very cool. Um, there, uh, there are a number of them. Um, the, one of the things to think about as, a, as someone who wants to get started in birds is try to buy a breed that is not too extreme in one way or the other. Yes. And so, for instance, you know, even if you want to raise meat birds, um, I would stay away from some of the heavy broiler breeds um, because it's better to start with um, like Freedom Rangers or one of those breeds that's a little more in the middle of the, um, of the productivity values um, and they're hardier. They grow slower, um, but they're hardier. They have fewer problems. Um, there are some breeds like, um, you know, Plymouth Rocks and Leghorns and, well, a white leg Leghorns are a little more on the extreme of producing tons of eggs, but they're really a nervous bird. Um, so you don't necessarily want to go that way either. So again, try to get even crossbred breed, uh, birds. I've, I, right now I have four elderly hens who are crossbreds between Leghorns and Brahmins, uh, and they are interesting, fun birds and, um, Again, they're getting older now, um, but they're not yet 10, so they're going to be around for a while. Um, but they have great personalities and they lay reasonably well and they're reasonably, reasonably big bodied birds, but we're not going to eat them. But, you know, I mean, you, you probably could. Um, right. I'd have to think too, like wherever, you know, because our viewers are all over the place, all over the world, um, mm -hmm. wherever you are, and there's a limited number of places where you could buy birds anyway, there's probably... The options available are probably the ones that the local farmers have found to be the most reliable and you know I would have to guess there's some some local knowledge mm -hmm. and wisdom uh, in some of those places and uh, I don't know what it's like in the states but. Uh, no I really like that you're bringing that up about the local knowledge and wisdom because that's one of the best things as a um, especially as the beginning farmer in, in in one thing or another you may be a great farmer in one thing but now you're beginning something else find a mentor <laughs> yes. because they're going to really help you with sourcing um, things and also with answering problems with uh, regionally specific information. Um, right. So it's nice to have that. Yeah, the um, guy I buy my eggs from one year, he tried, I mean, we're going to talk about meat hens uh, in a bit, but he tried meat hens one year because it's makes he's got the coop, he's got all the stuff, so why not? And the cost for the chicken, I mean, it's just made perfect sense, but he, I think his way of describing them as violent and stupid 
Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, you, a you, different kind of chicken, I guess. <laughs> no, you have to understand birds. Birds, birds. You either do or don't like birds. Birds are, um, you know, they're they're kind of uh, modern reptiles, and they're yes. they're really interesting creatures. Um, and uh, yeah, they are they're very hard. We have the term pecking order for a reason. Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a fierce process. Um, so. Uh, yeah, um, I've seen many. Uh, that's a, one of the things that can go wrong in a flock is that they get all um, wound up and start pecking each other, and that can end very badly. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know about stupid though. <laughs> he was talking about the meat hens because you know yeah. uh, maybe maybe he was just comparing them to the. I, mean, I think the other problem was that they got so big so fast, their legs would break. I mean, he didn't know. He was basically just learning through trial and error, but they, yeah, they get so big, so fast, their legs would break, which blew my mind that that could even happen. Um, well, yeah, they are like, um, they're like Maseratis, you know, you don't, you don't feed them like you do a Volkswagen bug. Um, uh, so they're, they're specialized to explosively grow. Um, <laughs> and you need to feed them that, well, you really almost need to consult with the, um, breeder who developed the strain of broilers that you're raising in regards to exactly what you should be feeding them because it is critically um, important to their health. And, um, and, and some strains have been gen not genetically engineered, but rather specifically bred to do certain things more than others. And, um, and so hence the leg breakage and that sort of thing could be just um, and it could be an issue with calcium phosphorus or with protein quality, not just quantity, but quality. And, uh, and then also there are strains that, um, you know, people have just made mistakes in the, the lines that they've read together and they, they're just not going to work no matter what you do. So, um, so again, avoiding extremes is a good idea. Well, and it could be that, I mean, he might've gotten like, you know, Kentucky fried chicken. Most, most people don't know that the chickens we buy in the grocery store to cook. They're like six weeks old or something like that. They're very young. Um, and yeah. I, I heard the Kentucky Fried Chicken, the chickens are four weeks old, so they're extra tender. Um, but he wanted mm -hmm. to raise the chicken to be the size of a turkey. So if you've got mm -hmm. a strain that's designed to get, you know, X size really fast, mm -hmm. and it's not built to be turkey size, that maybe it's right. like, can't, you know. Right. Um, no, he, no, you're, you're quite right that there, there are strains that are developed for certain needs, specifically for certain needs. Um, and so you got to respect that and not get yourself in the middle of one of those messes. So again, freedom rangers, because <laughs> a lot of people around here like to um, put their birds on pasture, um, at least part of the time that they're growing so they can take advantage of um, you know, growing a little slower, getting bugs, doing all the fun things that birds get to do. But at any rate, that, that actually can help avoid some of those metabolic nightmares. Right. Um, that, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, I guess also maybe their bones would develop better because they're running around doing chickeny sort of stuff instead of just standing and eating. And um, mm -hmm. all right. So uh, in terms of uh, the coop and getting set up, um, what are the what basic concerns do I need? Like, what's how big should it be per bird? And what's mm -hmm. the base basic materials you'd need to get? You know, right? I got sure. nothing. I, I mean, my idea is like, you know, I'm going to put a box in the backyard. The box is going to have chickens in it and the chickens are going to give me eggs. Now, what do I do? <laughs> so, yeah. So there's many, many, many different answers to that about okay. coop design and coop availability. There's tons and tons of things that are available online. Um, 
I think that the most important thing for the user to do is to think about what your criteria are, what's most important to you. Um, so the, what the bird needs is adequate ventilation, at least two square feet per bird uh, when, uh, when they're adults. Um, and uh, they need perch space that allows them to get away from each other, but also to remain in contact with each other if that's what they want. Perches have to be high enough off the floor that a predator like a rat or something like that could not reach up and um, easily grab the bird or uh, another bird could not easily peck on a bird that's perched. Uh, those things happen, they're not pretty. Um, the, yeah. You need to make nest boxes available to the birds before they reach the age that they want to lay. Because the birds need to know there's a safe, quiet place off to the side that's clean and readily available. When they feel weird, like they got to go off and do something, but they're not sure what yet. <laughs> they need to, they teach themselves to use nest boxes and it's really critically important that they do that. Uh, How do the chickens decide Whose egg box is whose? Or they just use whatever one's nearby when they're feeling the inspiration? Yes. So my my rule of thumb is, um, I personally, for most of us that have small flocks, I really feel like you know you, it wouldn't hurt to have one egg, one nest box per hen, but um, which is what my birds have. But they all tend depends on the time of year. They all tend to use one nest box, um, and I know to lay eggs. Uh, so in the summer it's it's a different one, in the winter it's another one. Yeah. really funny but um and they kind of fight to, to get access to it but they they're the others are are available at the same time i don't know I, I think that the standard in the industry is like four birds per nest box but i personally like them to have more access we also um you know where you guys are and certainly where i am uh and we have rough winters and um so sometimes some of my birds like to sleep in the nest boxes other birds like to sleep on the perches and um and so I always make sure that my, and this is a really important thing for their health as well, is I always make sure the nest boxes have some really comfortable, clean um, shavings in them at all times. So every time we pick up eggs, we pick out uh, manure and we always put on a glove, uh, like a dishwashing glove that you can keep out at the, at the barn. So there's always a glove you can put your hand into uh, and pick out the manure with, with the gloved hand and then you can pick up the eggs with clean hand and put them in your basket or whatever. Uh, and then also um, put a fresh handful of shavings in. And yeah. once a week or so, just take a look at each nest box and decide whether you think it needs to be cleaned out, really cleaned out and then put, uh, and it doesn't need to be scrubbed out, but just cleaned out all the bedding out and put in fresh bedding. I see. So that's really important. Oddly enough, um, we have lots of birds die because they have ascending infections in the oviduct that um, can take over the, the abdomen of the bird and just make it a mess. What's and that can kill, what's the, kill the bird. What's, what's the oviduct, what's that? The oviduct is the fallopian oviduct. tube. Um, oh. It's where the eggs you know, exit the bird. <laughs> and the eggs are kind of formed and developed in that tube. Uh, and, uh, and then they're laid um, by the cloaca. The cloaca is that terminal chamber inside the bird, just kind of shared between the gut and the oviduct in terms of where the 
output goes. So the, the egg vent, hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the place, that, the vent, the place where yes. things come out. Yes. Anyway, but when birds lay their eggs, that some of that actually everts slightly. The tissue inside the bird slightly comes out. And when it does that, then it contacts the environment, uh -huh. which is the yeah. nest, the nest, right? And if the nest is dirty and there's manure in it, now the now that lining of the oviduct picks up those bacteria. Eek. Uh, it's yes. not good, and uh, it can form very serious infections in birds, and the birds can die. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's so there is like yeah, there's certainly regular weekly weekly maintenance. Uh, that's yeah, uh, hygiene is really important. <laughs> hygiene is important. Yeah. And you know, other things about coop design, um, the birds don't care how it looks, but you probably will. And especially if you have a coop that you can move around like a tractor, um, right. then you probably want something that you don't mind looking at. Uh, so right. you know you have to think about that. You can pay a lot of money for really beautiful coops uh, and they can be fun. Um, but really what the birds need is good enough ventilation. So air needs to move through um, in a way that you can control. Uh, and in the summer, they need lots of ventilation. In the winter, they usually need, they still need some, but they don't need as much and don't need drafts. Um, they need protection from the elements, um, need, need a good place to, to, um, to perch, uh, and you need to be able to clean the whole thing out really easily. Accessibility, yeah, to get in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Also, um, I mean, people talk about having a light bulb um, in the coop in the winter to keep it warm, assuming it's, it's a, so the, is the coop insulated? You have insulation? So, do they peck at that? How do you keep it from eating the insulation? <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's a problem. Well, we actually have, the way our coop is set up, our coop is inside our woodshed. And our woodshed is really important to us in the winter, um, you know, obviously. We heat with wood and uh, we really enjoy having wood fires. Um, so we're in and out of the woodshed several times a day, which now that's good because it keeps us, uh, you know, actively observing our hands. Um, the hens have deep bedding in the winter, especially. Uh, so we make sure that there's lots of insulation um, underneath the birds. Uh, remember that all your birds are wearing the equivalent of a down jacket at all times. And so, um, you know, they actually overheat um, if you coddle them too much. Um, we have the nest boxes, which are deeply bedded and also have a little curtain in the front. So the birds can get out of, um, the weather and into a much warmer environment if they choose to uh, at any time. But they still, a lot of them like to spend the night on the perch. The, um, the woodshed allows um, an outside wall um, and then there's hardware cloth uh, that, uh, you know, so which is that rigid small um, size, uh, small netting size uh, metal wire keeps predators out and the birds in. Um, and uh, what else? Yeah, so, so there's good ventilation. The birds, uh, you know, you always have to go in and stick your nose into the coop or someplace where you can, you can breathe the air, the, earth, the birds are breathing, so you're kind of on their level. And uh, if you can smell, yeah, if you can smell any ammonia at all, then that's not good. You either need to change your bedding uh, and or adjust the ventilation because that ammonia will kill those birds much quicker than uh than cold will really so yeah yeah it's not, not you just get infected it makes them more susceptible to infections and problems yeah it's a it's a severe respiratory irritant and okay. uh and can be fatal i see that makes so. a lot of sense yeah uh, all right and um 
Okay, so I think we've, we just, I had like three things, but I think we've segued into all of them. Uh, uh, materials, heat, and space, I think. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you about like that. Um, so, you know, the guy I get my eggs from, he's, he's got the, the sort of indoor place that the chickens go, but then he's got an outdoor place where they run around. That's exactly called yeah. chicken, chicken run. That's great. Yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. your, your two foot per chicken rule, is that inclusive of the run or is the run <laughs> separate from that? Um, in my, start? well, first of all, this is yet another thing where you might want to check with your region or your province to see, or, or town, to see if there are ordinances about best management practices and they may have guidance for, for theirs. For me, it's like, well, wherever the chickens are hanging out together, I want them to have at least that much space per chicken. Um, so, you know, he may have his chickens inside sometimes and outside sometimes and close the door. Um, that means that the chickens, uh, you know, are in two very separate spaces. And my, my take on that is that they should have two square feet per chicken okay. in either, both each of those spaces. Uh, but if they're continuously available at all times, the chickens actually can go in and out at will then that's different. I see. So that is, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to that you're so this goes back to your thing about they need to be able to get away from one another in case one yeah. of them gets, gets a bit uh, bitey and pecky. Uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I could, one thing I wanted to uh, make sure that we have included in this episode, and that is um, that we need to figure out ways to keep our birds separate from wild birds. And right in general, it doesn't matter what kind of birds we have. And wild birds can include um, really innocuous, uh, cute little things that come to our feeders, um, like sparrows or finches or cardinals or whatever. Um, and they can include um, birds like ducks and geese um, that might be flying into some of our uh, wetlands. Um, and many of us have ponds around our homes and things like that. Um, also, wild birds are attracted to your bird's feed, and so you need to think about how you keep that feed separate from those wild birds. Um, I mentioned hardware cloth earlier as something to have uh, around your, um, your coop and your enclosure for your birds. It's really helpful because um, most predators can't get through that either, including what's, rats and mice. What's hardware um, cloth? cloth? Is hardware that yeah, it's actually, it's actually stiff wire. It's like chicken wire. You know, we all think we understand what chicken wire is, um, kind of a woven um, mesh size of an inch and a half or two inches or something like that. Well, which keeps chickens in, okay. But hardware cloth is similar. It's a, it's a woven wire uh, product uh, that comes in sheets usually or rolls. And um, the mesh size is about a quarter inch or maybe a half an inch. It's, it's much smaller. Like a chain and, mail. <laughs> <laughs> it was more rigid. And so yeah. the birds can see out, air can come and go, that's great. But um, other animals have a harder time, like birds that wanna come in and eat your bird's food. And you wanna have some kind of a roof um, or covering on your bird's housing. Uh, say you have birds outside in, in a big coop and you might even be moving that coop around, what we call a tractor, then you're gonna want some kind of covering on top because if wild birds come and, um, and defecate on top of your bird's housing, then that goes right into where your birds are um, and unless there's a roof. And that can carry really, really problematic viruses and bacteria and things like that, but, and parasites. But 
But what we're concerned about right now, and will remain concerned about, this is always going to be a problem, is uh, bird flu. So avian influenza, it is a problem in Europe right now. Right. And we who live on the east coast, more or less, in the maritime regions, uh, and us here in Maine, um, are more, um, we're going to be more exposed to migratory bird pathways. Um, and those beautiful migratory birds, many of them waterfowl, um, go from the polar regions and kind of mix up there during the summers. And then they come down south um, during the winter uh, in the fall or late summer, early fall. And when they do, they may be bringing some of these viruses with them. Avian influenza in wild uh, geese and ducks uh, does not necessarily make them ill. Right. Um, but it can certainly affect our birds and it can affect us. And if it mutates a little swine and things like that, and you know, it's not good. So yes. anyway, we don't want to go there. Um, in 2015, we had a big problem in the North America. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I think that, you know, your authorities in Canada and our authorities here in the United States are really concerned, really very watchful about this. They do not want this to happen. And I think that, that we as folks with um, small flocks uh, or even just um, gardeners who are bird lovers who may have bird feeders, um, we need to really be thinking about um, how do we kind of keep things separate. So the wild birds are, are, are fine on their own. They really don't need us. We get in their way more than anything else probably, but we need to try to decrease the chances that our um, uh, companion animals and our and our and our sorry our our poultry or other livestock can stay yeah, separate yeah. from those wild birds. So that was one thing I really wanted to to say. I hadn't even thought. I mean, like we're running out of time here, so I can't. I think we're going to have to have you on again to talk about uh, predators, diseases, and a whole bunch of stuff. What goes wrong? That. So <laughs> yeah. we'll, I think we'll bring you back if you're okay with that to talk about that because we, you know, I didn't. You know, we we there's just so much to talk about. But one more question I'd like to ask you before you go. Sure. My idea I always of having chickens is that I'd have them out in the backyard and all my table scraps I'd just give to them and then they'd turn it into fertilizer. Basically, the stuff I don't eat would turn into eggs, fertilizer, and chickens, and it was this beautiful closed system. Um, <laughs> can, can you do that? Like, or, or I'd also be throwing weeds and all kinds of things in there. Like, you know, the guy I buy my eggs from just buys the feed because it's more, you know, he, he knows exactly how much they need and it's easier for him to figure out. Um, but yeah. can you feed them like, you know, your, you know, your, your banana peels and all that sort of stuff? Like, you know, what, what will they like, like a, like a pig almost like what, what, you know, to what extent can you do that? Or is that a bad idea? So, um, it, you know, as usual, it's somewhere in between. Um, okay. So if your birds are just eating scraps and things like that, then chances are it might be okay. It might not. Um, uh, there are the many of the things that we can eat, they usually can eat. Um, but, uh, and, and they love it and it's fun and it's good enrichment. But if you want your birds to grow well, be healthy and not have legs that break and, uh, and also, <laughs> and, yeah, and also lay eggs that you can make mayonnaise from and things like that, then you might wanna be more like your neighbor and rely on a balanced diet for them. Um, right. and, that, and it needs to be appropriate for the age and the stage of the bird. So uh, young yeah. birds need a different feed than adult birds and laying birds, especially if they're laying um, you know, constantly for you, they need a different feed because their calcium requirements are really different. So, um, so, so okay, my birds, you know, so we feed them a layer um, feed uh, year round because we, um, 
figure they're going to do what they want year round. Um, uh, but we also supplement um, with a couple of things. One, I give them because I've spoiled them a little bit. I give them maybe an eighth or to a quarter cup of cracked corn per bird um, per day uh, as uh, just enrichment. They love it. It teaches them that to get really excited when I walk into view. Oh. <laughs> Which, yes, that's fun. Um, yes. Anyway, yeah. And also, it's a good way to catch them in case I were to let them out or have them get away. Oh, then there I know you I go. Can, yeah. yeah, you bet. Oh, yeah, you yeah. want those bribes. You need bribes. Um, and then, um, and then also we, if we're like, I'm gardening and like yesterday I pulled a lot of, uh, well, actually harvested a bunch of beet greens. Um, <clears throat> and so bits and pieces, I definitely give to the birds. Um, when I weed, if, if, if I don't think that it's an oddball weed and I think that they can handle it, they, they love, you know, getting to peck away at those, but those are just kind of a sideline. Are they and intelligent? Are they t attuned enough to know, like, let's say, let's say I had a plant bolt and it had all these seeds. Do they have the wherewithal to know, like, that a certain seed is poisonous for them or toxic to them, or they just eat and, or will it be based, like us, will it be just based yeah. on if it tastes poisonous? We, some things, some things taste toxic to us, so we don't eat them. Other things taste fine, but they are toxic and we eat them anyway. So we, like, are they, do they just know enough to, to not eat certain things, or do you have to do some of that uh, thinking for them? I wish I wish I could say that they have an innate sense of you know their own no no yeah I mean, any of us any of us creatures can poison ourselves inadvertently yes, yes I don't yes. think that they have however I will say that they do have lots of taste receptors and um, <clears throat> some things like mycotoxins which are problematic fungal um, byproducts that can be present in a lot of feeds, including your dog food and, you know, and chicken feed, they do tend to have a bitter taste. And so when animals refuse a feed item, it may be because they just detect that a bitter taste that they don't like. Uh, and that's a good thing. So that's kind yeah. of a protective thing. So again, as usual, it's not one or the other. It's kind of in between, the, you know, there's some things they're going to avoid. Um, but they definitely can get in trouble eating something. It's like, that, uh, uh, I guess, horses with spoiled hay. Like, there's some hay, they just won't eat it because it's got yeah, horses, or whatever, something in it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't pick up on that. And then we have our colics and things like that. But I just I just did necropsy on a bird not too long ago that I, I think ate deadly nightshade, um, which oh. I found. Yeah, I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I, I didn't do PCR on the plant but the berry looked very like it. And, um, and the bird acutely died, very healthy, nice bird that just suddenly died. So I mean, there are these the, things that happen. Speaking mm -hmm. of deadly nightshade, what, what would be the risk of like, let's say I pulled some potatoes and the greens had those little berries on them that potatoes mm -hmm. make sometimes, which is toxic mm -hmm. to some extent with, you wouldn't want mm -hmm. to throw those, you wouldn't want to throw those in with your chicken, I assume. No, I assume the same, but I, I don't have specific experience about that particular problem. But yeah, so um, I wanted to also say that um, the, the story, um, S-T-O-R-E-Y, I believe, um, books that are available online uh, on poultry raising, uh, there uh, tend to be pretty good. Um, there was, there's a woman named Gail Damerow who um, authored several of those that have to do with poultry health and poultry keeping. And I think that it, there are some general questions that can be dealt with, um, with you know, just by consulting them. 
That's so, your recommendation for the, the new the yeah, new chicken. Yeah, yeah. I think those I, I have um, felt confident recommending those to lots of people over the right. years. Are they good accessible reading? Mm -hmm. And easy okay. to get too. Easy I to think get. they're on Amazon and you know or whatever. Not to not to give any corporate entity a shout out, but rather <laughs> just to say that they are easy to access. So if I were to I just Google that. chickens and S T O R E Y. I yeah, probably... or um, or Damero, D A M E R O W. Okay. I think she's done a really nice job over the years. Um, okay. There was one other thing I wanted to mention, and that is, with all questions nutritional, um, I usually go to the NRC guide uh, for poultry nutrition. It is not uh, new, um, but it is also available online, and that's the National Research Council NRC guide. They have a number of these guides for different kinds of animals, and they cover a lot of practical aspects about balancing or assessing a bird's diet. Um, so it's it's not light necessarily reading, but it's very, very useful when you need it. All right. Great. Dr. Lickamalner, it's been great having you on the show. I want to have you on again. We're going to, uh, you know, we have many more questions, and I, I think the next time uh, I will solicit my viewers for their questions as well. Uh, it's been really fun having you on the show and uh, to do it again sometime. So thanks All for right. coming on the show. Everybody out there, uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please like, share, subscribe. And uh, until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching. <laughs> Thank you, Ann. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> hey, folks, if you want to help support my podcast and my YouTube channel, check out my sponsors, Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Uh, for Vessies, go to their website, Vessies.com, use my coupon code GAVS21, and you'll get free shipping as long as there's a pack of seeds in your order and you don't have an oversized item uh, in your order. Just check out the description. The, de the details are in the description box of this video. Uh, if you want to buy stuff from uh, Safer's Gardening Products, you can buy all the things I use from Vessie Seeds and you'll get free shipping that way. They, they, they sell BTK, uh, Slug and Snail Killer, and the end all that I use. Just check out the tools and accessories uh, link on their website. Uh, but you can also, if you're in Canada, you, you can buy uh, Safer's Gardening Products from woodstreambrands.ca. Um, if you have an order over $69, you'll get free shipping on that. They got a wide range of products goes well beyond the three things i use i just i only buy things for the problems i have right so i don't but they've got all kinds of pro, uh, you know products for beetles and things like that if you're in the u.s go to saferbrand.com and buy your stuff there that's the u.s you know if you're in u.s buy from that uh, website order online they offer free shipping on all orders over 45 dollars i assume that's 45 dollars u.s so yeah if you want to help support the channel and the podcast, they sell something you need, buy it from them. That'll help support everything I'm doing here. Thanks a lot.